The World Health Organization makes a quiet confession. It won't be issuing recommendations on, quote, gender-affirming care for children or adolescents. Why? The science simply doesn't support it. Imagine that. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. We're going to talk more about the revelations from the WHO straight ahead, all while a pronoun galaxy, that's what it's called, a pronoun galaxy, welcomes people and patients into a children's hospital in Minnesota. Say what? Our constitutional law scholar friend from the John Birch Society, Mr. Joe Wolverton, will be joining us this week to break it all down. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're going to get to that interview with Joe in just a moment. But first, if you are new to the show, I want to say welcome to Educate, where we are here each and every week taking a deep dive into education. We're also showing you ways to get involved. The conversations to take to your school boards or even to your friends, how best to approach the things that too many people seem to stay silent on. We're going to give you some good talking points to debate. Uh, as our kids seem to pay the ultimate price uh, for that silence again and again. Here on Educate, we provide both criticism and positive solutions to problems. My name is Liz Collin. I am a Minnesota-based journalist with Alpha News, alphanews.org, a wife, a mom, and I'm happy to be with you here as we navigate this wild world of education together, but we are here to help. With that, the subject of so-called, I uh, have to go ahead and put that before saying the rest, so-called gender-affirming healthcare is part of our show this week. After the World Health Organization announced that it would not be issuing recommendations on gender-affirming care for children or for adolescents, citing the lack of scientific literature addressing it. Yeah, guys, the, the science doesn't support it. Perhaps you're not surprised by such news. So you have that news coming out. We're going to talk more about it with the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar, Joe Wolverton, coming up. But then you have the corporate media working overtime, of course, to try to counter uh, that news. This uh, is released right around the same time from ABC News, um, that right around the same time as those WHO recommendations. So this uh, title from ABC News, Transgender Youth Care Misconceptions Led Physicians, Researchers to Set the Record Straight. So this is an ABC News report. They spoke to physicians and researchers about that so-called gender-affirming care. This report from Ohio. Let's listen. It's been really frustrating. There's just so many people out there who are just really mean. Sometimes I just wish I could have a normal life. Just because you've said that you're not gonna allow us to get the care here in Ohio doesn't mean we're suddenly gonna stop getting the care for our kids. Um, we know that this is the right thing to do. We trust the science, we trust our healthcare providers. And so we're gonna do what we have to do and whether that is travel out of state to get it, whether it's leave the state and move. Everybody that we choose to surround ourselves with uh, are very supportive. Many people that we associate with only know Astrid as Astrid. Uh, they might be surprised to know that Astrid is in fact trans. It's well spotted to say that there is absolutely a disconnect between what's going on, what we and, and many other, I think, trans families are experiencing in their local communities, the support that they have uh, up to what's going on in legislatures. If Astrid had cancer, this wouldn't be a question. They would, they would allow me to make the choice to get her the best care. And so 
I don't understand why my judgment is suddenly in question now that I'm seeking gender affirming care for her. Did you pick up on that? The slow music, the slow, sad music as the, the child spoke um, and, and the parents. It's really amazing what our corporate media will do to try to sell this to the masses. Um, actually, quite troubling, too. You see the uh, the titles of each person in that ABC News report appear. The father, for example, when he talks, there are uh, pronouns underneath him. He's the father known as he, him. Um, and then talking about uh, his son, who thinks he's uh, a girl, uh, that they're just completely buying into and then parading their child, their poor child, out in front of the camera as well to try to normalize this behavior. So that, again, a report from ABC News speaking about um, some restrictions Ohio is putting in place on, you know, they call it gender affirming care. It seems to be anything but. But I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition, which we are going to jump into the actual news about the World Health Organization and these lack, I should say, of, of guidelines that failed to come out. And there's reasons for that. And now I want to listen have you go ahead and listen to PBS, how they went ahead and framed this whole issue. This is a report back from 2022 uh, talk, talking again about gender-affirming care. They're clearly winning the war on words, how they phrase all this, gender-affirming care. What doctors really think. Listen to this. Did you know that almost 2% of U.S. high school students identify as transgender? And that number is growing. And unfortunately, transgender and non-binary teens are four times more likely to suffer from mental illness when compared to their peers. Many feel isolated, misunderstood, or are outright bullied. There are medical options to help these teens align with their gender, like puberty blockers, and later in life, hormone therapy and surgery. And preliminary data does suggest that gender-affirming care can improve mental wellness, but many states outright ban transgender care, citing that it's harmful for teens under a certain age. Now, there's concern about whether or not a young teen can start gender-affirming care, such as puberty hormone blockers. And there's a debate about whether or not a psychological evaluation is needed. But here's a question. Can someone under the age of 18 decide for themselves that they're ready? Being able to be oneself is a very powerful thing. And I ask people before they start, what are your goals with hormone therapy? And nine times out of 10, people say, I just wanna feel like myself. I just wanna feel more comfortable in my body. For many people, medically and physically transitioning is about aligning your body with your gender identity. But how do we define terms like gender, sex, and anything else that doesn't fit easily into a box? Simply put, gender is a set of rules and expectations that are defined by a society. And those rules and expectations are socially constructed and can evolve over time. And some people say gender is like a spectrum, but I kind of like to take it a step further and say that gender is kind of like an expansive galaxy with infinite possible categories beyond just the binary points of male and female. While sex is what we're assigned based on our apparent anatomy at birth, typically male or female. But here's where the conflict begins. When a person's gender is different from their assigned sex, it can create an extremely uncomfortable and confusing situation. Okay, guessing by now you've probably had enough listening to that, <laughs> that PBS report. Same thing, all set to music. And uh, can you imagine the horror if these children are, aren't allowed to transition and then interviewing, uh, again, a so-called doctor? Um, on the situation. But again, my how things have changed. 
more than a year later, uh, the WHO not even able to come out with guidelines because the science doesn't support transitioning for children. But you won't find those reports on the nightly news, I'm afraid. But we'll bring them here to you on Educate each and every week. So still to come, uh, a pronoun galaxy that's going to welcome kids to a children's hospital in Minneapolis. We're going to talk to Joe Wolverton about that story and more coming up. And also more civics education, perhaps a good or a bad thing, this happening in the state of Indiana. Perhaps it's a good thing to help kids learn how to better back up their side and also to speak up and engage uh, sticking up for their side of things uh, rather than just shutting down and and staying silent as many seem to do uh, again and again. So we'll talk about all of that again coming up with Joe Wolverton, our constitutional law scholar from the John Birch Society. You're listening to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Leftist propaganda, endless pronouns, critical race theory, sexually explicit books, accessible to minors, and more. Our public education system seems it's a complete mess. That's why you should consider Freedom Project Academy. They've perfected online learning, offering live, on-demand, and homeschool courses for K-12. Freedom Project Academy was built on Judeo-Christian values and classical curriculum. Visit freedomforschool.com. That's freedom, F-O-R, school.com to request your free information packet. We can't afford to hand over another generation to the left, so take back your child's education. Once again, visit freedomforschool.com. That's freedom, F-O-R, school.com. This show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. Hey America, how tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. Welcome back to Educate. All right, to hear about this one, we were talking about it in the earlier segment. The World Health Organization quietly admits there is no solid scientific backing for giving kids gender-affirming care. This story here from the Daily Caller that says, quote, the World Health Organization, uh, WHO, of course, as it's known, announced that it would not be issuing recommendations on gender affirming care for children or adolescents, citing the lack of scientific literature addressing it. Seems like they just said the the quiet part uh, out loud, it, it seems. But our constitutional law scholar friend from the John Birch Society, the one and only Joe Wolverton, joins us this week. Joe, good to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Liz. I love being with you. It's always something interesting when I talk to you. 
<laughs> it is. We always really try to hit hit the highlights here. So one would think, Joe, that this is kind of a big deal. The World Health Organization in the process of developing uh, these guidelines for the health of trans and gender diverse people, as the quote goes, uh, declines to extend the guidelines to people under the age of 20, saying in this report, scientific findings on the long term consequences of child sex changes are limited and variable. Wait, what? We're we're constantly told by our political leaders, corporate media, this is just you're a bigot if you don't accept this and you disagree with a kid being allowed to be to be mutated uh, or mutilated. What what's your um, take on this? Well, I, I think it's it says something about our society that we need a scientist or a group of scientists to tell us that mutilating children might be harmful. I I don't know where we've gotten as a society that. We can't all agree that there are some things which are which are irrefutable. The fact that there are, you know, an X chromosome and a Y chromosome, that we can't just agree to those basic things and agree that if a child can't consent to to anything, like literally a child can't sign a contract that's enforceable, and yet we have to have a a World Health Organization and some nameless group of scientists tell us that when you mutilate a child, it could be harmful. Again, speaking this week with Joe Wolverton, the constitutional law scholar uh, from the John Birch Society. And I think you make such a good point uh, on that. The the fact that, you know, here it is in black and white. I will also say, just doing a, a quick search on the internet, not many people even picked up uh, you know, the, these findings, because again, it really kind of goes against what what uh, has been pushed right right in front of us for, for many years now. Yeah, you're not allowed to say that unless you are an establishment scientist. If you just say it as someone who has common sense, then it's like you said, you're, you're prejudiced, you're transphobic. Uh, you know, if you say it as as me or as Liz, then you're transphobic. If you say it and you're a, a WHO scientist, then, you know, you're just being scientific about it, right? You're just being, you're just saying what it, what your research has revealed to you, right? And that's okay. You get a pass. It's like so many things that if you're, right. if you're an establishment shill, then you can pretty much say whatever you want to. If you're a regular person whose common sense uh, reveals things to you, then you'd better keep quiet. More, more from this story, talking about what the document actually says, uh, quote, the scope will cover adults only and not address the needs of children and adolescents because on review, the evidence base for children and adolescents is limited and variable regarding the longer term outcomes of gender affirming care for children and adolescents. And that sort of brings me to my next question um, here, which I know we've talked a little bit about on this show, again, talking to Joe Wolverton, a constitutional law scholar from the John Birch Society. How do you think we're going to look back on all of this in in history? Are they going to, you know, look back on these pages and and wonder, like, this actually happened? People people thought this was okay to to mutilate their kids? Well, Gosh, Liz, I hate to answer this question because, you know, if you look at the trajectory of history, I think in 20 years, we'll look, not we, because, you know, let's not say 20 years, let's say 100 years. So we'll still be here, gosh, I hope. Yeah, 20 years, we'll still be here. Let's say 100 years. 
I think they'll okay, look, we're done. We're yeah, toast, we're gone. Yeah, I think they'll yeah. look back on this and think kind of the same way we do if we look back on like Leave It to Beaver or something. We'll think how quaint, how mm-hmm. how a bit cringy. I think they'll think, oh, that's just so common now. Why did they even? Why they even have to debate that? It's 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 every you know child's right to decide his his gender and to, and to have this surgery paid for by the people. I think honestly, I hate to say that because I yeah. I just know that even in my lifetime, I remember being at my aunt and uncle's house watching TV and them making a big deal out of the first time that they had a bra commercial on TV. And the lady wasn't even, you know, naked under the bra. She had a shirt on and a bra on over the shirt, but it was a big deal big because deal. they were showing that. And now, good grief, that that is so bizarre that, that that was in my lifetime, you know. And so I think if you just follow that trajectory on the path that it's on right now, unless, you know, an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless you know, moved upon by a violent force. I think if we continue on the path we are, then that sort of thing is going to become like, why would they ever deny a child the right to to have this surgery? And why would they ever deny him public funding for this surgery? And so we're going to have to have some, you know, um, Newtonian violent force knock us off this trajectory, Liz. Yeah, I agree. And it, it scares me to, to think that that would, you know, just one day be, be commonplace. Uh, that people will move move that far. I don't know if you've actually seen, uh, it reminds me of a scene from What is a Woman? Have you seen that documentary produced by Daily Wire, Joe? Yeah, I have. Okay, so when Matt Walsh goes to, I think it's an African village, right? And he's trying to explain how in the United States you can decide your gender, children can decide their gender, and he's literally being laughed at. Um, I think that just to me, that I always think of that scene that speaks volumes of, of what we're doing here in America. Well, I mean, imagine going back to you yourself in high school and that you, your present self, could visit your your former self. You know, you go back in time and explain to yourself what's some of the things that are happening in our society today. You, you as 16-year-old Liz, wouldn't believe it. You would think, no, that's crazy. That's not actually happening, right? Even 35-year-old Liz, uh, Joe, probably has a hard time believing what 41-year-old Liz is... <laughs> <laughs> is experiencing now. Uh, well, that's going to lead us to our next uh, segment coming up here. Um, I know your favorite of the week as well, uh, the Pronoun Galaxy. Uh, I find it uh, amazing that uh, WHO has these this lack of non-standards, and then you walk into a children's hospital and you're greeted by what's called the Pronoun Galaxy. Uh, this, of course, is happening in, in Minneapolis. Where else would it be be happening? Um, the favorite, my favorite place to talk about here on this show. But we're going to talk more about that again. Joined this week by Joe Wolverton, a constitutional law scholar from the John Birch Society. He is easy to find. Look up his work. Uh, he's a great voice for for common sense Americans. So we'll be right back uh, here on Educate. A reminder: this show is brought to you by the New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. We'll be right back. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days, but what does it mean for us in today's world? Is it even relevant? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World for just $19.95. 
a great stocking stuffer. Available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, Education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Go to JBS.org and join us in restoring this great nation. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin and having a, a good time, as as I always do, uh, with Joe Wolverton. He's a constitutional law scholar from the John Birch Society. He really enjoys the the stories I sometimes uh, ask him to, to speak on. And I think this one uh, is especially um, one of those. But we were talking about the World Health Organization before the break. Joe coming out quietly admitting uh, that there's no solid scientific backing for giving kids gender-affirming care. So they're kind of saying the quiet part out loud. There's no scientific literature uh, addressing uh, what's the, what this is doing uh, to our children or, or adolescents that go through this this type care. So then here's this other story, which I thought was a, an interesting uh, juxtaposition here to bring up on, on the show, uh, something that we covered over at Alpha News. Uh, we get a lot of these uh, tips at Alpha News, alphanews.org. Uh, but Children's Minnesota displays pronoun galaxy at hospital entrance. So you walk in to the children's hospital, uh, the largest children's hospital in, in the state of Minnesota, um, and you are greeted, Joe, um, by the pronoun galaxy. Um, I think you were able to take a look at what a pronoun galaxy looks like because you probably weren't aware until until reading this story. Uh, but what are your thoughts uh, on this? Well, first of all, I think they're seeing this galaxy through the uh, telescope of imagination because some of those pronouns don't exist. Those are just made up words. And the first thought I had is, okay, if you're going into a children's hospital, either you're a child who has, you know, some serious illness, or you're the parent or loved one of a child with a serious illness. Is this how you want to be greeted? Is this the sort of, it's controversial for nearly everyone. It's going to spark that kind of, you know, uncomfortable conversation you know there's no sense in it if it's a hospital it should be hospitable it shouldn't be controversial so i think there's it it reveals a a, a larger agenda on the part of these people it's nothing to do with caring for the child or caring for the parents of a child it's simply using this space as nothing more than advertisement for or advocacy of the abnormal. That's all it is. And it's, it has nothing to do with, with you know, I, I thought the first rule of the Hippocratic Oath was first do no harm. And now here you come into a hospital and you're greeted with this nonsensical mural of made up words that they're proclaiming. It makes you a star if you get to choose your own pronoun. It also makes you an idiot. So, I mean, I don't know what, what you want to do. You can stick with the pronouns that 
that we've agreed as a society have existed for about, you know, a thousand years or so, or you can decide to use one of these fake ones. Does it change the cancer? Does it change the leukemia? Does it change any of that? That you now insist that the nurses and doctors and the staff call you by some bizarre made-up word that you call a pronoun? I don't see how this is the group that would... Those sorts of things become so down-ballot issues if you're walking in there and you're carrying your child or rolling your child in in a wheelchair because, because she has cancer. That, that's not going to occur to you to be something to care about. I, I wouldn't care if my, you know, what my doctor called me if I had hope in that doctor of helping me. And so it just, to me, it smacks of some sort of uh, surreptitious advocacy for, uh, for controversy. Yeah, and I know even going to, into this conversation, I was treating it lightheartedly, but I agree with you um, how heartbreaking, in a way, that this is because it's being forced upon uh, our children. I don't think you, if you poll people that are, are in the hospital, they don't want to be there uh, beyond the people who are who are working inside. But but yeah, you're right. It says at Children's Minnesota, you're a star. Uh, that's how the display reads, and then each star on the display. Uh, has those different pronouns, she, her, they, them, he, his, trying to keep up with uh, all of this. So it went up uh, a, a while ago, um, a couple weeks past. Uh, Alpha News did try to read out, reach out to Children's Minnesota for comment. Uh, of course, they would not not respond. But they have um, a pretty high-profile doctor there, uh, Dr. Angela Cade Getford, uh, always kind of discussing pronouns, misgendering children, um, and she says, pronouns are how we acknowledge and affirm someone's identity uh, in these videos. What do parents need to know about pronouns? Uh, and then goes on to explain that they are usually she or he. Sometimes, though, they're they or them, and sometimes new pronouns that may you, you may not have heard of. So, Joe, there's, there's some we haven't even heard of at this point, so that's really great. Uh, using someone's pronoun is a way to let them know that you see them, that you understand them, and that you're going to refer to them in a way that they want to be seen. Again, this is a doctor uh, <laughs> describing this in, in videos, you know, kid-friendly, allegedly, uh, videos. And I think that's where we are now. People have just lost faith um, as a result of, of people, I would say, like Dr. Gepford, uh, you know, in, in the medical system, in, in our government, and, and for good reason. How about you not worry about making me feel seen by accommodating <laughs> my abnormal, completely fabricated pronoun and make me feel seen by treating me and giving me hope for my life going forward? How about we just make that agreement, you and me, Doc, you treat me, you, you explain things to me and to my parents in a way that'll give me hope. You use your, your best training and your best insight to give me some hope. And you can just call me whatever pronoun you want because I don't care because you make me feel seen and you recognize my identity and make me feel valued by, by treating me and by giving me hope that I can somehow be relieved of this of this illness not by not by calling me the the pronoun that i pick out of the galaxy again speaking with joe wolverton this week constitutional law scholar at the john birch society on the website joe for children's minnesota it outlines some of the hospital's guidelines when it comes to providing care to children 
and respecting their pronouns. So this is on the hospital's website. They're, they, you know, it's no secret that, that this hospital has, has turned uh, in, into this in Minneapolis. It says, nurses are also encouraged to offer a name wristband with their patient's chosen name and then pronouns uh, on that wristband. Patients still must wear their hospital name band. Oh, good to know. Um, that, but there are some uh, gender diverse and transgender patients don't identify with their legal name. So then they get this uh, other pronoun uh, bracelet. I can't even I literally can't even believe uh, some of some of the things on this on this website. Again, when we're talking about 35 year old Liz and, and here we are, 41 year old Liz, uh, this this would be one of them, Joe. I, I It's just it's really does make you wonder what motivated because you know someone had to put those stars on the wall you know someone had to actually do the work you know the person who came up with this comical nonsense is not the person painting it or putting it on the wall so you had some guy sitting there painting this nonsense on the wall and he's you know he's shaking his head he's like what in the world is all this but it makes you wonder what sort of like disease the doctor has or the administrator has that motivated him to make this mural what is it what do you hope to achieve what's the point of this you know particularly in a hospital you know me i I don't know where this would be appropriate in my mind it would never be appropriate because it's so inconsequential when it comes to the purported purpose of a hospital. And, and a children's uh, a hospital um, at that, where people go for for healing, uh, one would think. But I agree with you um, because we get a lot of these tips uh, where I work, and I know you guys do at the, the same at the John Birch Society, but there are so many people who have problems with this. They'll pass it on or they'll put it on social media, uh, but in many ways they won't you know, stand up or, or speak out against their employer. Uh, you know, I understand that, uh, paychecks are a powerful thing, and people have to kind of go along to get along in a way. But that's what's sad to me. Whoever is decorating this pronoun galaxy or you know pointing signs to the direction of the pronoun galaxy in the hospital, you know that there's a lot of people, um, especially in healthcare, uh, that have an issue with this, and and so many fail to to speak up. It seems. I'm going to continue the conversation with Joe Wolverton uh, from the John Birch Society coming up. We're going to head to the civics classroom next. Joe, you up for that? I'm always up for anything. <laughs> this show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. Can you believe after all the recent violent protests, looting, and destruction, some communities are considering either defunding or abolishing the police? If you agree that now is the time when police protection is needed most, then it's time we stand up and support your local police and the communities they serve. Call 800-JBS-USA-1 and request your free Support Your Local Police info packet. That's 800-JBS-USA-1 and request your free Support Your Local Police info packet today. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Uh, we're having a, a good conversation, I think, this week, as as I always do, with uh, Mr. Joe Wolverton. Uh, he's with the John Birch Society, a constitutional law scholar. We always are very appreciative of his time and his insight. Uh, we just spent some time 
um, in the pronoun galaxy. I think we're both trying to forget it um, after after such uh, conversation. But the again, uh, Minneapolis Children's Hospital decorated with stars uh, filled with pronouns uh, that your child, your sick child, in most cases, uh, is allowed to, to choose when they walk into the, the hospital. Uh, so I thought we'd take a bit of a break and head to the civics classroom for this last segment here, Joe. So this is a story... Um, out of Indiana, civics education to come to the earliest grades under Indiana proposal. This is from Chalkbeat, Indiana. So a little background here. Um, there's a fourth grade class. It's at uh, East Washington Academy. Students are running for office at the beginning of the year. And this is all sort of in response uh, to some legislation working its way through Indiana. House Bill 1137 and Senate Bill uh, 211, they would each establish a civics seal to recognize students, teachers, and schools for excellence in civics education, which could look like offering civics-minded lessons and field trips to students. Um, so I thought this was interesting and a little bit of a, a change of pace. They say voter turnout is sort of down in Indiana and there's not much civic engagement. And I do think that this um, could be could be healthy, in, in my opinion, um, because it does seem that there's not much room for political discourse sometimes growing up, um, especially because it seems where I am in any way in, in Minnesota, public schools are filled with left wing teachers um, and, and the teachers union and, and whatnot. But what are your thoughts uh, when it comes to more civic education for, for kids in, in public schools, Joe? Well, I, you know, Liz, I mean, it could be theoretically, it could be good for uh, our society to be teaching children these lessons at an earlier age but i'm thinking first of all they're doing this with a grant from the federal government <laughs> yeah i noticed that from too. from the jump i'm suspicious because if the government recommends something i would recommend doing the opposite thing <laughs> so that makes me suspicious of it and secondly it's like if they're just going to take the lessons that are typically in textbooks with regarding to with regard to American history, and just port those down in some way uh, for younger kids. It's just going to be teaching them the same rubbish they get in high school, but in in simpler language. And so I'm suspicious of that. And I think you know we'd be better off if we could end the social studies and you know bring history back. I think we'd be much better off that way. And if we could teach history as uh, a story, like it, it is part, literally part of the word, if we could teach history as stories, if we could engage these students, causing them, you know, telling them not what to think, but, but how to think, you know, teaching them those things, like to think critically about things instead of just presenting them with a pat curriculum filled with you know, pablum that's dictated by the federal government and then making them feel good by giving them a sticker on their diploma. I don't, I don't know. I think theoretically, yes, it could be good. But in practice, I think it's just going to be more of the same. Again, talking to Joe Wolverton, a constitutional law scholar at the John Birch Society, talking about civics education overall. This story is bringing up what's happening in Indiana to engage younger children um, in some of that political um, talk, if you will. But this uh, article goes on to say that civic engagement in Indiana has been persistently low, reading from Chalkbeat, Indiana, according to the Indiana Civic Health Index a report compiled by the Center for Urban and Regional Excellence. 
at uh, Indiana University Northwest, but it found that in the 2022 Joe midterm elections, 42% of voters, just 42% voted. Uh, Turnout nationally is the highest it's been since the 80s, while Indiana's rate dropped nearly 15 percentage points during that time, this report notes. I will say, um, and and I see this now, I've been speaking with some college kids as part of Uh, touring a bit with the the documentary that I put out, The the Fall of Minneapolis, that I do support more um, respectful debate. It seems we're in a time now where people are fine disrespecting one another, raising their voices, screaming. Uh, You know, I've had people protest my visit, if you will, because I'm so highly controversial, um, obviously, but they haven't watched the documentary, of course. But it does seem there's this, this move to silence crowds that I didn't see you know, growing up, I'm, I'm fine with, you know, debating and engaging in a conversation, but if you're going to do it in a way where you're threatening my existence, that seems to be a a problem to me that where do you think that is, is, is coming from in our kids? Uh, where do I think that, that is screaming someone down that you don't agree with? I think, well, I think it's coming from, I mean, to, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I think it's from the fact that you don't have that sort of familial relationship uh, like traditionally. You don't have the kids and mom and dad sitting down to dinner and mom and dad talking to the kids about things that are going on. I mean, I grew up with that. My my dad, every day at dinner, and we always had dinner together, and my dad would, would ask, you know, what's going on at school? And then he would talk about things that were happening in the country, even when we were little, and I was six years old. And, and just having this sort of discourse, and of course I wasn't, wasn't sophisticated and didn't have much to add, but it was training me that such things are, are, are normal and such things are important. And I think we don't have that because we outsource the sort of, you know, social engagement of our children. We outsource it at such an early age these days, and they are sent to a place where speaking up is discouraged. If you speak up, you keep me from finishing the lesson on time. And I have to stay on my lesson because I have to turn in my lesson plans and I have to make sure I stay on target because I'm getting my my pay is dependent on my ability to complete the curriculum. And so we don't have those classes where you can just sit there calmly and mm-hmm. debate a principle. Let's let's talk. I mean, I, I know when I taught Liz, this is one of the things that the kids loved most about my classes is I didn't use textbooks. We would go through history and I would say, for example, I remember one of the things the kids loved is I would say, you know, the Bill of Rights is a horrible idea. And I would say, what do you think about that? And they would, and it would be one of those things where we would discuss it and and it would be all this brilliant discussion that you just don't have normally because it's, I've got to get through the Bill of Rights. I've got to tell you when it was done, the dates it was done, what it did and move along, you know, no discussion. Or, or you're right that, you know, it seems now they'll fire back and, you know, I, I'm right. And if you're wrong, then you're this, that and the other. And it's, uh, you know, name calling or it's all boiled down to 
uh, you know, a four or five second soundbite, if you will, for their social media channel. Um, so there's not really full context or so that's why I, I do support some of this to actually bring back some of those conversations and debate your side, uh, because I think that's healthy, especially for, for growing up and, and figuring out where you stand and what you believe in and not only, you know, what you believe in, but are you able to, to back that up? And, um, you know, speak speak to those truths. Yeah, I think you said a lot there, Liz, with the whole social media thing. I think it's trained a generation now to think in, you know, 30-second increments as opposed to uh, when I was a kid, no such thing existed. And you were kind of allowed to explain your side, not only allowed to, but you were forced to, you know, you were trained to support your argument with examples. And and nowadays, you just want to get it out in the way. And, you know, they'll tell you, if you read any of these articles or watch any of these videos about how to get engagement on social media, it'll say, you've got to get their attention in the first two seconds or they're swiping past. And so you want to say something controversial, something evocative at the very beginning, you know. And so that's how we've learned to communicate. We've been trained to communicate in these bursts and these bursts better be provocative or or you're not relevant. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we know so much of this is not happening um, in, in schools, of course, but you certainly can have these conversations at, at home as well and, and challenge your kids when it comes to you know, standing up, you know, not only for their their friends or their faith or, or whatnot, but um, to to help them in in a way be able to make that clear argument uh, for people. So I think that's a healthy conversation to have at at home as well. Well, Joe Wolverton, again, um, want to thank you so much for for all of your time. Uh, constitutional law scholar at the John Birch Society. Remind our listeners, please, where people can find your work and follow along. Um, just thenewamerican.com, jbs.org, and then my podcast is Teacher of Liberty on YouTube. The New American Magazine powers The Educate Show, featuring in-depth articles and news analysis, culture, and politics. The New American can arrive on your doorstep bi-weekly in a beautifully published physical copy or digitally on their new mobile app. Bring yourself up to speed with intelligent coverage from a constitutional perspective. Now, for a limited time, visit thenewamerican.com slash educate25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash educate25.